Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. Welcome everyone to the Celtic Way podcast here as always with Scott Jenkins, creative director for Celtic Way. Scott, here we are. It is, I mean, getting toward the end of May now, mid-May, end of May, yet you still are talking about Easter. (laughs) And so we're going to do a few weeks on it. If you didn't listen to the last episode, make sure you do that. But we talked about, or well, Scott talked about the idea that resurrection is both a one-time event and a transformational event ongoing presence in our lives. And that was the part I think that really stuck out to me and really all connected to the idea of Celtic Christianity. And I feel like I learned a lot last time, but according to you, you just scratched the surface. So why don't you dig in a little bit deeper and we'll, we'll see if we can keep up with you. Yeah, sounds good. Now, most of you, if you come from a Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopalian background, tangentially somewhere in the back of your mind and in your experience easter is a season it's like 50 days long and um i really like that i think it just it it really gets us away from something unhealthy here's an example you've seen a lot of times in your life i'm sure when you worked in a church easter is like the biggest attendance day ever right it is yeah I can still remember struggling with the church council one time saying, I think at Easter we should we should announce the Christmas services. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Don't you do that, you know. But, I remember um, we used to have Easter and and the the lead pastor and the board used to say if we can just keep 10% of the extra people that showed up, we would have a, a good year of growth because that right? many extra people would show up. Yeah. No kidding. So, but I do understand it. It's a big day, should be a big day in the Christian tradition. And the resurrection is such an important, I think, history alternating event. And it certainly is a personally transformative event for us. But when Easter is located, like this is one day, like one mass, this is one service. And, uh, and that's it. But it should be big. It should be a celebration. And, it, and you pull out all the stops and whistles. I get it. It does. But I think what it does is it continues to locate something in institutional Christianity today, which I was a part of. And that is that there's this great transaction that's happening all the time, whether it's about confession and forgiveness, whether it's about receiving the Eucharist, whether it's about hearing the gospel. It's kind of like something that was done to us and for us and could not be done by ourselves, which Historically, of course, it's true. But the meaning and the purpose and the implication of the resurrection is ongoing because eventually it's going to be about our transformation, right? The new life that we are called to live. We had this conversation last time about spring. And it seems to me, boy, here in Colorado right now, spring's a game, man. It is green and it is beautiful the flowers are coming out awesome and that kind of ties in with the one day of easter thing too because sometimes it just seems like springtime just happens it's like magic bam we got new life everywhere there's pollen in the air and allergy pills are at a record high sale in colorado this year but what is hidden in the easter message and in springtime 
is the incredible amount of dedication and work and energy and nourishment and water and sunlight and other people investing into our journey. It is such a process. It's not a day. It's not a day and we're done and now we're on to low Sunday the next week when nobody comes to church, you know. It is a process that is, keeps calling us towards this growth that rightly so, we couldn't initiate nor sustain ourselves. We can't do resurrection by ourselves. And at the same time, what it calls for is a response, a wholehearted response. It is the turning away from all the death-dealing blows in our life, in our culture, in our society. And it's asking ourselves the question, what does it mean now for us? Like, where and how and why do I want to grow and change? And how is this new resurrected life, how is it reflected in me and then in us? And what does that look like? And what does it mean? A lot of times we just like a quick, easy fix. And that's why I think Easter has become a bit of what it has become. But the long journey toward transformation, it's not easy. (laughs) It's quite the opposite. And I think sometimes we shy away from difficult things, even though the long-term effects of going through the difficult, of going through the transformation is so beautiful when you get on the other end. If it's just transactional, it's no different than buying something at the grocery store. But if it's transformational... That's truly life-changing and life-giving, I think. Yeah. I just finished a conversation over lunch with, with a friend of mine named Anne. Anne lives in Cape Cod, and she's out here visiting friends in Denver, so I got to spend a couple of, uh, couple of hours with her. We touched on these very similar things, and she's like, like, what is wrong with me? Or what is wrong with church? And I'm not taking a shot at church here. I I like church. I think it can do better, and I can do better in it. But she's like, what is it that we're missing? And she's like, you know, whether it is in my Christian journey, my Celtic journey, what do I need to do? Am I expecting too much? And I think it's really good when it comes to growth, when it comes to springtime and Easter. it's, It's not a bad idea to slow down for a little bit and ask ourselves, what died in wintertime that I really wanted to get rid of? What, what is it that needed to die so I could make space for new growth? Yeah, you had mentioned something about that a while back when we did a podcast on winter. That was the one thing that you mentioned of just taking that time to reflect on the death in our life and yeah. what we need to learn from that. And in some ways, you know, again, living in the type of environments that you and I do, when spring even peeks its head out a little bit. It's it's full force. It's we want to <laughs> just forget about winter and get into spring. Oh but I God. do think there is that piece that we need before entering into spring in a spiritual standpoint. It's so important to reflect a little bit on winter or maybe a lot on winter so yes. that we can move into spring in a healthy, meaningful way. So you can see the interrelationship between the seasons clearly. I mean, if you live where we do, it's obvious, you know, stuff dies and new life comes. And the same is true for the journey. It doesn't happen quickly in nature. It's certainly not going to happen quickly to us. And I think you're right about the transactional consumeristic society. That's a little nauseating to me from time to time when people have these expectations when it comes to their 
their spiritual life. There are sequences and themes to be placed together in order to benefit our life. If we do that, and I'm more convinced about this than ever, as I was talking to Anne today, if we just really follow the themes that are set before us in nature, and if you're in a liturgical church, they follow these themes as they follow the life of Jesus. So Easter comes, and is it a great thing to celebrate? It is. Um, is life budding all around us? It is. But Easter is comfortable when it is just one day and we dress up and sing, but then boom, it's over. Wouldn't being people of the resurrection, we would think, might actually look differently than our culture? And a place for us to begin might be with that question, except on a personal level. Where's my spiritual journey of new life coming into confrontation with my own cultural values that are really shaping my spiritual life. Is there a conflict there? Now you know why <laughs> why Celtic people had Anamkaras, our soul friends. Not only uh, do you trust these people enough to be honest with, but you trust them to love you back in a way that calls the BS card. This is where real change needs to happen. We are called to see Easter as a gift. We'll never earn it. I don't want us to get back into the place of, oh, i got to be good enough, because that's not it. It is something that God has done for us in Jesus, of course. But what he's done for us is to imprint an invitation on the human journey. This man, Jesus, was raised by God from the dead. And our call is to become more like him. And honestly, that takes nothing short of work. Willingness to change behavior. That's hard. I just find it interesting, Scott, that if we think about both Christmas and Easter, everybody's okay with a big lead up to it, you know, whether that's from Advent or, or Lent, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the anticipation of it. But once we get there, it's almost as if we just want it to be done with, we want it to be there over with paid for onto the next thing. But what you're introducing here is really this idea that in so many ways we lead up to, I guess what we could call almost the beginning, right? Easter represents yeah. the beginning, not the end. Right. And that's so true. Nobody tells us, I think, very often. Anne asked me today, if you, if you started your church, what would you tell people? And I would say, first of all, it's a human community, and I want it to be very human and very real and very transparent and very honest. And I want it to be very small because there's not a whole bunch of people that are going to want to hear this message, let alone do it, right? But I said, I think Christianity needs to really focus on helping people to become disciples, there's a huge difference between disciples and church membership. Do you agree? I do. I do. It's, it's very different. Yeah, it's very yeah. different. And Anne just kind of looked at me and she goes, you know, that's a word I don't hear at church, disciples. I'm like, yeah, I kind of get it. I don't mean it legalistically. I don't mean everybody should go off and join a, a convent or a monastery or, you know, but I think we need to just take a step back and and stop looking for all the, the glitz and the jazz and all the power and the praise and everything that comes from Christianity, but just say our calling is to become like Christ. Christ's resurrection offers us the gift of new life. This was a rock bed of Celtic Christianity in the early days. 
their lived experience of, with, through this resurrected Christ transformed them, their communities, and the villages around them. It was the flame, and we'll get to this when we get to Pentecost, but it was the flame that moved people beyond just words, just beyond intellectual consent and understanding, to actually having a lived experience of one who was raised from the dead and who was active and visibly seen through these early Celtic Christians who couldn't, who couldn't wait to get out there and share the news of what they have experienced, right? It shouldn't be lost on anyone that the early disciples, you know, they gave up a lot. And so, oh. you know, grabbing onto that word discipleship and applying that to the, you know, the followers of Jesus in those early days, they gave up everything to do that. Yet we feel we just have to give up a Sunday once or twice a year, and that's going to be enough to really right. transform. Right. Yeah. I think that whole move into discipleship is a great way to shrink your church. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's just, we've got to figure this out. And was shocked somewhat she lives out on cape cod i said that's a rather exclusive neighborhood she goes yeah we're all kind of alike i said you're all kind of green and white she goes i don't know what that means i said you're all kind of white people with a lot of green in your pocket she goes yeah that's us (laughs) i was like yeah right and she said to me i we i drove through the homeless neighborhood in denver oh i said no you didn't she goes yeah no we did this morning i said no you didn't You see, there are homeless neighborhoods in Denver. You drove through one of them. And she was like, really? I'm like, yeah. The other thing she drove by that really caught her attention was a brand new four-story storage unit that went up that said, we have temperature control all year round and free Wi-Fi. I was like, wow. Why did that catch your attention? She said, I didn't realize it at first, but it was in stark contrast to all the tents that I saw set up down the sidewalk of this neighborhood and how we spend so much money on temperature controlling our stuff with free Wi-Fi, but we don't make space for people who don't have homes. Now you're standing in the doorway of Easter. Easter's just the beginning of asking yourself, how do I bring this new life, not just in, into me, to change my views, my behavior, my routine. But as, as Easter moves through us, then those are the insights that begin to come to us. The needs of others, not the wants. The reordering of our priorities and our values. The juxtaposing ourself and neighbor until they are held equally. Resurrection is a great thing to hear. It is a gift, right? It's a dangerous gift. Because you can either walk away from it and pretend you didn't hear the message, and then you'll be bothered, I hope, by the rest of your life. Or, even more difficult, you will hear the message. And you will realize that as Jesus just was walking out of that tomb, you are too when you hear the message of Christ is risen. Remember we say in the church, Christ is risen, and everybody else says, He's risen risen indeed. indeed. Right? And you do that three times, and I think we should change the third one. I think we should say, Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. And then at the end, we should say, Christ is risen, He is risen in us. 
And the world is desperately longing and looking and searching for that light. And I think they want to see it in ordinary human beings who do have our set of problems, but have been committed to working on them and following this Christ in his resurrected life. I love that you said at the end there, you didn't say Christ is risen, Christ is risen in me. You said Christ is risen in us because that truly captures, I think, what the gospel message is all about. Now, Scott, talking about Easter, we're talking about kind of, you know, big, big picture concepts here. And sometimes when we talk like this, I get kind of caught in my head of knowing, okay, but like, what do I do? Do I, I I don't have a storage unit, so I can't get rid of that. But from a transformational standpoint, wanting Easter to continue forward beyond just the one day, what are some very, let's, let's make this as practical as we possibly can for the listeners. What are some things that we can actually do that will potentially make a difference in this transformational process? So the first thing is when this transformational process has taken root and is growing inside of you, don't tell the women because nobody will believe them anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, some practical steps that we can do, and we'll get into, into depth about this next week. These are things that I do. I hope they're useful. Prayerfully sit in the space of discovery, and I do that with a friend. Sometimes the discoveries are are so challenging, I'll turn away from them. And sometimes a friend will see some insights into my own personal discovery I need to hear. So I make time. I will go over to Paul's house. We go out in his backyard. There's a fountain back there, the two of us, and that's what we sit with. We sit in a place of discovery. What's coming our way through Easter? It's very, very important. The thing that I have really gotten into since experiencing Celtic Christianity and practicing it is I consistently make time for two interrelated paths. First is, rarely do I go a morning without 15 minutes at least of meditation. And when I say at least, I mean it could go as long as 16 minutes. (laughs) I've been meditating now for over two years, and it's not easy. It's rewarding. But I, you know, somebody says, well, are you up to like two hours now? It's like, no, that's called a nap. You know, that's not meditating. So I'm still doing it because it pays off. And here's where it pays off is in the second path. I continue to walk the same path. When I'm grounded in my meditation, It's not difficult to walk outside, even if there's cars going by or planes overhead or whatever, to really tap into this awareness that is given to me through the work of meditation to sense God's God's presence in nature around me. The two go hand in hand. I know a lot of people would almost look at those as, as the same thing, but I like that you're introducing the idea of meditation almost as a preparation to then go out and engage in nature. Whereas some people would say, well, my meditation is going out in nature, but I really like that, that kind of little difference there where you you're preparing yourself almost like, you know, I know I've thought of times before where you're preparing yourself to go to a worship service or preparing yourself to go to a service, whether that's prayer or whatever. And uh, I love that you take that same approach when just engaging with God's creation. Yeah. I think it's necessary. The third thing is, and I got this from my friend Paul, because I would always be like, 
what thing am I going to do now in the world because I'm resurrected with Christ? What great thing am I? And Paul's like, no, no, just what small thing is God inviting you to? If you're faithful in small things, God will give you a few bigger things to do. Don't worry about the big things. What can you do? We live in a world too often, don't you feel helpless? I mean, the, the problems of the globe are so big. It's like, pff, I can't do anything. Yeah, we can. We can make a difference. Small, important difference. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend today that, and it really reminded me of that exact thought because sometimes we're just not capable of doing huge things, whether we don't have the means, we don't have the time, we don't have fill in the blank. But this friend of mine was going to this event in the evening where it was a group of people. I think it was a hundred people that come together and they support a nonprofit organization each by giving a hundred dollars. But that nonprofit organization walks away with a $10,000 check. Isn't that because something? Everybody, everybody gives a little bit of themselves. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful concept that just exactly feeds into your point. It's not, it's not what huge thing we can do. It's what little thing we can do. And if we do that little thing every day or do a little thing every day, that will multiply. It does. The fourth thing is, in some ways to me, is related to the third thing, doing this little thing. And that is, like, I just read Psalm 9 today. And it says, give wholehearted gratitude for God. And I just stopped me this morning, early this morning. And I was like, wholehearted gratitude? Yeah. How do I do that? Well, as the psalm said, goes on to say, remember the things that God has done for you. And I was like, yeah, I don't do that often enough. But if I do, then I think there really is this internal motivation that gets going every morning. Okay. Gratitude for me is I want to do a small thing that's good for the world. And the last thing is to take a real deep dive personally into my own soul and be honest and be transparent. Have a heart that yearns and longs for a new life. All of us have some parts of our life like maybe like shackles, maybe like old patterns we think we're never going to break free of. Really take a deep dive and just say, what is the newness I'm longing for? God, the newness that I'm longing for, and I work with a fair amount of addicts every week. And, you know, they're, they're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed. And I say, what's the newness? I want to be free from this addiction that keeps me living in the streets, that keeps me from being a better husband, that keeps me from this or that. Well, a lot of us who listen to this podcast, we're not addicted to heroin or other things. That's why it needs to be a deep dive. We need to ask ourselves, really, what's holding us back? What's holding me back from that new life that God wants to give? And honestly, I'm longing to receive it. We have seven weeks of Easter. Christ is risen in us. And it's good work. That's for sure. To support the Celtic Way podcast, be sure to subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to become a sustaining member, please go to our website at www.celticway.org. Find us on Facebook at Celtic Way.